Welcome to UCLA Extension's Business Insights with Roger Ternaden, where we highlight hot topics and underlying economic trends useful to you. Before we begin with our current economic and financial market insights, I want to extend a warm welcome to the 15,000 plus subscribers of the Credit Today daily newsletter. For our listeners who know Credit Today, you would agree, I think, that this is the premier global news resource for business owners, CFOs, credit executives, and corporate treasurers, among many other professional banking and finance practitioners. Please allow me a special message for our new listeners and a reminder to our loyal longtime listeners. UCLA Extension's Business Insights podcast is focused on helping you understand and take appropriate actions months before the media picks up and reports on economic and financial market threats and opportunities. We all know financial markets adjust to so-called news in seconds, so we try to help you identify where we're headed well before we get there. In other words, to borrow Wayne Gretzky's attributed quote, skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. Some of our new listeners may say, we hear you, but the proof is in the pudding. My response is pretty well known to our longtime listeners, so I'll just briefly summarize here. First of all, we identified the key trends and well explained them six or more months ahead of them hit the markets. For example, in 2021, we explained why the Fed was trapped, why their characterization of temporary inflation would prove false, their unsustainable creation of new dollars, importantly to buy increasing federal debt, the misleading reports and conclusion that creation of full-time jobs is way overstated, and inflation during COVID was at least twice that reported by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Number two, I'll stop here and not so modestly argue that the two-plus-year history of our twice-a-month podcasts of 15 to 20 minutes each covers more economic and financial relationships, relationships every business professional should be aware of than many two-year MBA programs. Third, that's all in my opinion, of course. (laughs) Third, all the podcasts, including this one, are available on our UCLA Extension Business Insights website, as well as our SoundCloud page. The intent continues to be to digest the constant data streams and to give you a 15 to 20 minute perspective that breaks through the noise of the 24 hour media cycle. Unlike the media, our mission is to help you plan your business and personal financial futures and not to merely create superficial drama or support sponsor agendas. Fourthly, if our long-term listeners would like to know more about Credit Today and its daily newsletter, please use the link provided on the UCLA Extension website for our podcasts. I should say that we receive no compensation from Credit Today, but appreciate their endorsement, distribution, and support in reaching their 15,000-plus subscribers. Finally, we offer our podcast free, receive no sponsor support monies, and have the UCLA quality behind it. We're focused on financial education, not daily or weekly financial advice. Now let's get into the most recent business insights. I have a lot to share, but promise to hold today's podcast close to 20 minutes. In economics parlance, the term soft landing refers to a cyclical downturn and economic growth that avoids a recession. 
The central bank typically aims for a soft landing when it seeks to raise interest rates just enough to stop an economy from overheating and experiencing high inflation, while trying to avoid a severe downturn. There are historical reasons to be seriously concerned that we are not in for a soft landing, as our Federal Reserve leaders and our politicians are hoping for. First of all, the Fed has a poor track record. The Fed's soft landing record is, at best, a strategy based on hope, since the federal bank, the central bank, doesn't exercise nearly the same control over the course of the economy as a pilot has over an aircraft. Recent research from Alan Binder, a former Federal Reserve vice chairman and a Princeton economist, identified 11 Federal Reserve tightening cycles since 1965, of which eight were followed by recessions. In the last five instances, when inflation peaked above 5%, that's 1970, 74, 80, 1990, and 2008, a recession followed. There is growing concern that the Fed has once again inadvertently sent the economy into a recession as it must more aggressively fight inflation now. And inflation now is the highest since 1981, 41 years. Unfortunately, inflation is pushed from supply chain issues today and shortages, not having to dampen consumer expenditures. So the traditional Federal Reserve tightening to raise interest rates, to increase borrowing costs on credit cards and so forth, it's not really the issue. The issue is shortages and supply chain issues, not the consumption side. However, moving the economy into a serious recession will mitigate inflation. But if the cost of even lower business investments, lower job creation, increasing, once again, unemployment, and once again, motivating more non-productive government spending, like food stamps, increasing rounds of unemployment and compensation, other stimuli, and so forth. Secondly, weak economic data we need to consider. Despite the April employment report showing another month of job growth and the official unemployment rate also staying level, the labor participation and employment rates remain stagnant, as they have been over the past year, I would argue the past two years. In fact, the U.S. labor force has shrunk unexpectedly last month as an increased number of workers decided to stay on the sidelines. The consequence of a shrinking labor force is an inevitable fall in economic performance indicators. U.S. manufacturing activity during April grew at its slowest pace in two years. More surprising is a drastic contraction in the New York Fed's Empire State Index on manufacturing activity, which tumbled 36.2 points to minus 11.6 in May against an expectation of plus 15. This reading was lower than even the worst case forecast from analysts, which was minus 10. Number three, I'll mention bear market territory. Chances of a soft landing are even slimmer when we factor in the state of global equity markets, which have been dragged down for months by the stubborn inflation and slow growth. The performance of stock indices like the S&P 500, which is down more than 16% so far this year, paints a picture of how high a mountain we have to climb to avoid a recession. A recent report from Bank of America showed that cash levels among investors hit the highest levels since September of 2001, which the bank describes as extremely bearish. 
please appreciate that high savings and cash balances are primarily in the hands of the wealthy, not the average American family that lives paycheck to paycheck. Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist and chief information officer Michael Wilson recently noted that stocks still have further to fall before hitting their bear market bottom. Quote, we remain confident that lower prices are still ahead. After seeing the S&P 500 posting its sixth straight weekly loss for the first time since 2011, Wilson asserted this week that the risk of recession has gone up materially and the bank's bear case now assumes the U.S. to fall into recession before 2023 due to sticky inflationary pressures, sustained margin declines, and broad deceleration in sales growth. Back in November, Morgan Stanley had already predicted a 20% drop in the S&P 500 in its 2022 outlook, but now it sees valuations falling even further before the current stock market pain subsides. Echoing those views are Deutsche Bank, which is predicting a major recession in the U.S. before next year, and former Goldman Sachs CEO Lloyd Blankfein, who argued that the current recession risk is, quote, very very high, unquote, in a CBS interview. Remember, every time inflation has exceeded 4% historically and unemployment has been below 5%, the U.S. economy has gone into recession. And we are well in that area now. The real unemployment rate is closer to 10%, which I mentioned in prior podcasts. I argue that we are in a recession and it's only the first inning. I'm preparing for stocks to drop an additional 10 to 20% this year as the key issues are becoming larger, not smaller, and not under control. We'll see, but please take heed. Number four, the supply chain shocks. Exacerbating this inflation is the pressure by American companies to raise wages to address the current worker shortages. Wages are, in general, the best measure of core inflation, accounting for two-thirds of business costs. The end result would even be higher prices being passed on to consumers from the labor costs, creating a vicious cycle of inflation. And that's where we are now, in my view. Data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that while wages continued to grow in April 2022 at a rate of 0.3%, the real wages actually decreased as inflation completely overshadowed the nominal wage increase. Real average hourly earnings decreased 2.6%, seasonally adjusted from the same period last year. We are already seeing double-digit wage increases in the pipeline in truck transportation, food services, food at the supermarket, construction materials, industrial metals, energy, car battery materials, including nickel, lithium, and cobalt, just to name a few specifics. There are many more. Number five, government spending. The last factor we cannot ignore is the U.S. government's reluctance to cut fiscal spending to revitalize the economy. Fundamentally, inflation is the result of having too much money to buy too few goods, and federal spending is essentially incurring more debt while driving up the prices of goods. This is worrisome, considering the U.S. is already coming off a fiscal year deficit, which had made a $6.8 trillion outlay that resulted in a budget deficit of nearly $2.8 trillion, or 2.4% of the GDP, the second largest percentage of GDP since World War II. Additionally, another $6 trillion in spending is earmarked by the Biden administration this year, and potentially another 
1.8 trillion to our national debt. How much is a trillion? Our minds cannot easily imagine a trillion. In a matter of days, the Fed created more dollars out of thin air than it had for the U.S. 250-year existence. It was an unprecedented amount of money printing that amounted to more than $4 trillion and nearly doubled the U.S. money supply in less than a year. $1 trillion is almost an unfathomable amount of money. The human mind has trouble wrapping itself around such figures, but let me try to put it into perspective. If we look at 1 million seconds, 1 million seconds ago was about 11 days ago. 1 billion seconds ago was 1988. 1 trillion seconds ago was the year 30,000 BC. For further perspective, the daily economic output of all 331 million people in the U.S. is about $58 billion. At the push of a button, the Fed was creating more dollars out of thin air than the total economic output of the entire U.S. Interest rates of pretty much all maturities are climbing, bond prices are dropping, the stock market is headed down in a highly volatile fashion, with the job market in a new weakening pattern. The Fed is aiming to solve hyperinflation by retarding aggregate demand to decrease it to meet the shrinking levels of supply. Its strategy is to take money from the economy so that it cannot be spent to purchase goods and services. This effort will cause economic decline. What is needed to tackle this inflation problem is to boost supply, the supply of labor, and more goods and services. The Fed's tactics fail to address the key supply cause of hyperinflation. They're working on the wrong side of the price equilibrium equation by bringing on a recession, impacting the consumer ultimately, as well as impacting business investment commitments. In my view, the Fed has clearly decided they need a stock market crash, one that lasts a while, in order to take stock portfolio wealth out of the economy, to take money from the pockets of households in order to shut down spending. That strategy does nothing to increase supply shortages, which is the core problem. In fact, it takes away from the initiative to produce more supply of goods and takes away the supply of existing jobs. It is a counterproductive and dangerous approach to managing the U.S. economy, as we'll see as this year plays out. Unfortunately, this may be the only tool they can use. I, for one, have been a seller of stocks, as listeners know, over the past year. I've been deploying the cash into mining stocks that should benefit from rebuilding our supply chains over the next few years. For many investors with long-term horizons, EFTs, or exchange-traded funds, are worth considering if they hold significant exposure to energy, battery materials, and agricultural commodities. Precious metals, to me, also look attractive at this point in our economic cycle. This attack is aimed at curtailing aggregate demand for goods and services to shrink the GDP pie down to the size of the shrinking supply. This spells a great recession, in my opinion. In an ideal world, supply would increase to the level of demand, but the Fed does not have the tools to accomplish this, as we've witnessed over the past two years when the Fed pumped approximately $7 trillion into the economy out of thin air. Shortages happened regardless. My most serious expectation is that stocks and bonds will continue to decline over future months. Yes, there will be rallies, but a trend is in a decline. We're in a bear market. There will be counter trends and strong up days, but the long-term trend is no longer up. 
If you doubt the sustainability of a specific company or stocks you own, maybe time to sell, build up the cash balances. Many have high long-term profits as we've been in a bull market for many years. Be careful, don't give back your profits. There's nothing wrong and there's much right about taking your profits and standing aside during what could be a severe recession. Next week, we'll discuss some of the in-process threats to a worldwide economic recovery that are generally not covered in the media. For example, debt defaults by emerging countries and their impact on our stock and bond markets, as well as covering emerging threats to the dollar. And those impacts are having an initial impact now. Be careful. Conserve your savings. Consider holding large amounts of cash instead of large amounts of stock. Be sure to email us at rtornadin at uclaextension.edu on more specific questions, which we will answer either personally or select as part of our future podcast. Hosted by Business and Legal Programs Director Roger Tornadin. This podcast is presented by UCLA Extension and produced by Jamie Moss at Studio 10960. These podcasts are made for educational purposes and are not financial advice. The goal is to educate and provide resources on focused economic and job trends with the latest support research so that you can make more informed financial and career decisions that best suit your personal needs. UCLA Extension offers more than 5,000 online and in-classroom courses taught by over 2,000 leading practitioners to help you get from here to there. For more information on this podcast or our financial and legal programs, please check us out at www.uclaextension.edu. We know it's about your life, not just your money.